This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles, Monday night's edition. My good friend, Mr. Barry Spears, will be co-hosting with us. Uh, we're waiting on Barry right now. Tonight, we're going to talk about some recent events in horse racing. Uh, the one that no one seemed to uh, be able to get away from, uh, the COVID positives. And how it's going to affect racing. And we're going to talk about the upcoming Saratoga meet, which is coming on the heels of a bizarre five-day Keeneland meet, which outside of uh, Mr. Pratt, Pratt, however you say it, coming back with a positive test, though I'm not exactly sure that he didn't arrive with one. But... um it's a, a very odd time for the world. It's certainly an odd time for racing. And Barry will be with us as soon as we come back from a very short advertisement. We actually have an advertisement. See you in a minute. All right, we're back. Mr. Barry Spears, the urban handicapper on... Twitter and uh, otherwise known in the contest world as the sniper joins us on Mondays and he is with us from the fine and probably warm city of Port Orange, Florida. <laughs> are, are you are you officially moved yet, Barry? No, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Uh, end of the month will be over in Daytona Beach. Well, it's it's nice that. We get the Florida thunderstorms every afternoon that you can, you know, try to figure out your move around that. At 3 o'clock every day, man. So t today we didn't have a, a, a storm and, and I made the the unusual decision to actually go for a little run this afternoon and and uh, let it, let's just put it this way. The, the track officials probably should have canceled for heat, but I, I didn't have a heat stroke. I did I did survive. So I just told you, uh, an hour and a half later, I'm still sweating a little bit, but uh, that might just be because I'm fat. But man, you're a better man than I, because I, I get out there and I mow my lawn and and I'm dying. So well, you know, you, you got me there. I, I, a, a Saratoga trip looms, so you know, going up there, you got to get in shape because you know, there's one thing that's definitely going to happen in Saratoga, regardless of the. No fans being allowed, uh, restrictions. You know that food is going to go down in Saratoga. Food and drinks. Uh, yes, time. drinks. I might not be able to drink like your your counterpart, the other Mr. Spears. But, um, but you know, I survived. So um, it's kind of an odd time in your horse racing when... In that uh, Delmar is going on, though it's been probably, I, I, you know, 
this is like the quietest I've ever heard. Yeah. Even Twitter hasn't really kind of talked much about Delmar. It's almost like it hasn't started, and Keeneland kind of overshadowed the the opening of Delmar. Yeah, it's it's so strange. Like, everything, I mean, obviously, you know, since the beginning of the year, it's just been a a wild year. And then, you know, like you said, uh, the anticipation of a meet like Delmar, you know, and and Saratoga coming up, it's just not what it, it just doesn't feel the same. Um, Maybe it's the fans not being able to go. Um, I I don't know. It's just not, not what it used to be as far as, you know, the anticipation, you see a lot of tweets of people going out there, you know, taking tips and all that kind of stuff is gone and it and it, it takes away from it. And I think, you know, people um, really feel it. And, it, and it's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, it, it really stands out to me because, you know, like you every year, look forward to this time of year with, with those tracks opening up and it's, it's just, it's a little disappointing. Yeah, it is. And I mean, usually the opening of, of Del Mar and Saratoga kind of coincide and, and really kick off the the summer, the real summer racing. And um, I think Keeneland kind of overshadowed uh, Del Mar, as I said before. And it was interesting. My dad was talking to me the other day and he said, well, you know, it's hard to believe the meet's coming up, you know, in Saratoga. There has hardly been any you know, talk about it or, or advertising. I said, well, Dad, what are they going to do? Are they going to say, hey, listen, the track's starting, but, you know, you can't come, but uh, <laughs> watch on TV. So it, it's it's just, um, it's going to be a very strange time in the city of Saratoga. Because, I mean, let's face it, if you're betting from a remote location, if you're watching on TV, if you're watching on the internet, yeah, it's going to look a little weird when they pan down the, the grandstand and and there's no one there, and I'm sure they'll try to do that as little as possible, but the action on the racetrack is still the same, and, and you don't really get ambience when you're watching on on um, on, a, on a, you know, a computer screen or, or, or even on TV, but uh, it's just so odd, and, and, um, and I really think that, uh, I mean, the other news story that came out of racing this weekend was... Uh, Luis Saez being abruptly pulled off his mounts because he had tested positive for the COVID after doing some traveling out west and you know from New York and and then uh, you know, Flavian Pratt uh, tested positive and then Victor Espinosa you know uh, was actually kind of into a self quarantine before his his positive test came back and and now I mean just just a few minutes ago there was a um, um, an announcement that uh, James Harden of the Rockets has tested positive, and that was after this morning's announcement that Russell Westbrook had tested positive. And, and I mean, let's face it, the NBA, compared to racing, is a far more professional, um, far more controlled, far better run um, operation than than what we have going on, and if they can't keep their biggest stars from getting this, and and I, and I get you know that there's a couple hundred players and coaches and and this and that, and you can't control where everybody goes or uh, you know they're coming in from all over the country, and it, it just kind of um, I, I just think the point is that we're. Uh, 
you know, we're, we're really walking a tightrope here because the one body of uh, of players in this business that we cannot do without physically is the jockeys. And it's not an easy thing to do to replace jockeys, especially top world-class jockeys. Right. And, 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 you know, it was funny. I was, I was talking to somebody who works for a high-profile trainer the other day, and, and uh, he was just basically kind of saying how, you know, how are they going to contain this thing up at Saratoga? Um, I mean, with Nelson Avenue, Union Avenue, and the traffic coming in and out of there, and it, it's going to be really tough. Um, you know, to, to, to keep this off of the backstretch, let alone, you know, in the jocks room. I mean, obviously these guys have been traveling all over the place, you know, riding uh, anywhere they can to, to make that money. Um, but I, I think at some point, you know, maybe the jockeys might have to kind of police their own. And, and say, hey, you know, we can't have these guys keep coming in and out of here because they're going to get us sick. And you wipe out a whole colony, that's going to wipe out the meat. I'll be on, honest, Barry. It's, part of it. it's easy for us to say. It but is. if I'm the racetracks, I'm saying, listen, pick your poison. Choose the track you're riding at. No out-of-town riders. I don't care who you have or who's been riding the horse. No horse. Get somebody else. No yes. horse is bigger than the game. None. Because honestly, all these big horses we have today, they're not like, uh, you know, we see a bunch of five-horse fields and, and, and uh, you know, it just is, I mean, Saratoga, you should get some better racing, but, you know, with, with some of the Kentucky guys really cutting down their numbers, which which is something that we had talked about last week that we expected to happen, yep. and even some of the New York people staying in New York. And I've talked to a couple trainers, and they they just don't feel confident that they can get enough help in Saratoga because a lot of times, especially with the hot walkers, they depend on the locals, on local kids and local people to come in, and they're not getting that this year. And um, it, it's just a a real a real issue because it's not as though. These are our jobs. I mean, sure, you could teach someone who's not scared of a horse that has some dexterity that, that, um, you, you could teach someone to be a hot walker pretty quickly, but every other job takes some skill and takes some learning. And, you, you know, it's, it's, it's Saratoga. You're not going to keep people off boats out of the lake. Out of cookouts, out of things, you know, it, it just it's it's very difficult to do, and and it's one of the um, it's probably one of the, the the factors that no one really considered or thought about compared to Belmont, because the truth of the matter is not a whole lot goes around goes goes on at Belmont socially. It's not Saratoga. Not around the track. No, sure. no, and it, everything is it's much more difficult to get the places. Saratoga is is built. For entertainment, the lake is five minutes away. There's downtown is five minutes away. There's there's um, I mean this year clearly there, there will be a lot less going on, but still the the enemy is. I, I got in a big argument on Facebook yesterday because I was feeling particularly ornery, but you know th there was this chart and, and it's kind of like a ranking of what's more dangerous. And I said you know some of these charts are just stupid. 
because the fact of the matter is the beach itself is not inherently dangerous in, in, in terms of the COVID. People are the dangerous part. And you could go to a beach with you know, people are 100 yards apart. That's not more dangerous than going to the grocery store where people are lined up. And that's the problem you have in a barn in that it's hard to socially distance because you really can't. Not barns aren't built that way. The hot walkers are going to walk past everyone time and time and time again. Even the ones that walk outside, they're going to get close to each other. They have to hold the horse for bath. They have to give the rider a leg up. And, I, and it's easy to say, and believe me, as training 20 years and working on the backside for 20 years before that, the fact is that we don't have, we operate almost with skeleton crews. We don't have a lot of extra guys. There aren't a lot of backups. We don't work 40-hour weeks. We don't, um, even though we're kind of forced to in, in New York, or at least try to get some semblance of that because of the ridiculous labor board. But you you just, it's if, if you're missing guy, a couple guys, I mean, it really cripples your organization. And, and if you go up there and you lose a couple exercise riders... Oh, you're, you're screwed. Yeah, I mean, listen, you go, you go to Saratoga on a normal basis, and you lose an exercise rider every once in a while for a morning or so because they get stuck somewhere. <laughs> I, I actually, the first year I trained horses, I, I rented Jimmy Barnes' barn, and, and it was I rented it from Anthony Margata uh, at the time, and, and it, was, it was outside the track because back then, first-year trainers did not get stalls at Saratoga no matter what. It was a little different, but um, Mr. Ramsey rented the barn, and um, we got up there pretty early and tried to get acclimated, and um, so I had a guy named Tony. Tony was, was a guy from South Carolina, and uh, <laughs> he was a good dude, man, and, and he, he, would, he would cut everybody's hair, he'd, put, he'd do the braids for guys, you know, he, he was a good, he was a really good guy, and uh, that was his first time he ever came to Saratoga. Because he had migrated from South Carolina, working for the outfits, you know, the breaking horse outfits right. down there, over to Churchill, and we picked him up at Churchill because he was friends with a, a groom of mine from from Camden, a guy named Shotgun, and uh, Tony got to Saratoga, and he just went buck wild, and <laughs> it was a Sunday morning, early in the meet, and no Tony. No one knew where Tony was. No one saw Tony. We saw Tony dressed up, going out last night. We ain't seen him since. So, <laughs> um, about 7 o'clock or 7.30, the Pinkertons drive down, down the road with a, uh, a golf cart. And they said, Chuck, um, we found one of your guys. And I said, well, what do you mean you found one of your guys? Well, the clocker saw somebody underneath the hedge on the turf course, and he called it once. As soon as it got light enough, we thought it was a dead guy, but we went out there, and he said he works for you, a guy named Tony. <laughs> and I, I said, where is he? He goes, well, we, we're holding him there. We're not sure what to do with him. I said, well, bring him back, man. I need him to work. I said, well, did he do anything wrong? He said, well, he, he was, you know, he was sleeping on the turf course. I said, there's no law against sleeping on the turf course, right? I mean, there was no works out there, so he's like, He's not fired? I was like, hell no, he's not fired, man. <laughs> I need that guy. <laughs> and they brought him in. And he said he, he was very apologetic. And he said, you know, he, he got caught up with some country girls. And they 
they dropped him off on the other side of the track, not the side we were on. And he said he was trying to find his way back. And he finally just got tired. And he said, I'm just going to lay down here and rest a little bit. And next thing you know, he woke up with a Pinkerton's boot in his ass. But, uh, oh, man. <laughs> Saratoga, man. Those things happen. I, I had another guy that same year. This is a guy named Socks. That was his actual name. Socks. It wasn't his real name, but that's his name. He used to wear, no lie. He used to wear five pairs of socks. And I asked him why one day, and he just simply didn't have a good answer for it. And he was about he was about five five. He weighed about two thirty. And he, he was he was uh <laughs> he, he was a good groom, but he was a pain in the ass and he didn't get along with anybody. Well same thing happened to him on a Saturday night. Sunday morning, it's a couple weeks later, Sunday morning it's raining out. And Jay Bidas, who's Jose Lescano's agent, was was working for me as a uh, as kind of an assistant at that time. And and in Sox was staying in the barn, so when we got there that morning, we knew he was missing because he he wasn't he wasn't there. He wasn't in his room. So um, same same time frame, about seven thirty, quarter to eight, <laughs> pouring down rain. Jay says, Chuck, you got to come out and look at this. So I'm like, I'm not going outside. It's pouring. He goes, Chuck, you got to come look at this. So walking down the road <laughs> is socks. <laughs> He's got jean shorts on, about four pairs of socks, and nothing else. No shoes, no shirt, no hat, no nothing. So, I mean, it was the saddest looking thing. So... He comes in, and Jay's laughing at me. He's, like, hysterically laughing. So he comes in, and he's pissed off. And he says, do I still have my job? And I was like, you only have your job if you explain what the hell you're doing walking down the road with no shoes and no shirt on. Like, <laughs> like. so apparently, he had been over, and he had met a girl. And, and he liked the girls with a little uh, little heft to them. And uh, this this country girl, she she was from Schuylerville, which is about, I don't know, 10 miles east of Saratoga. And uh, apparently he was over there with the girl whose husband worked the night shift. But apparently the husband got let off early from the night shift. And Mr. Socks went out the back, win back window <laughs> and, and and just she threw his shorts out and, and he had his socks on. I said you you were you you were you were doing that stuff with your socks on, man. Like four pairs of socks. Come on, man. And he's like, well, thank God I had them on. And then he said, and I'm walking down uh, the road to the main road and I'm trying to hitchhike and nobody's gonna pick nobody picks me up. I said, well, man, who would pick you up looking like that? You you, you look like you escaped an insane asylum. <laughs> and he goes, "Do I got my job back or what? do I have my job or yes?" I said, "Yes, you have your job. I'm not. You got to take care of them horses." He goes in the stall without putting shoes on and starts cleaning the stall out. And I said, "Man, only me. Only, only me. Only me. <laughs> but that that's what happens at Saratoga. You know, you, you think things happen there that don't happen other places. And those are just two stories. <laughs> those are two stories that are." PG thirteen, you know. I mean, <laughs> there's there's crazy stuff, and it it's just sad that 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 um 
you know, it's going to be so much different this year. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm happy that we have it. I think they're going to really struggle to fill five days worth of, of cards. I wouldn't be surprised at some point to see maybe on a, on a, on a Wednesday, maybe nine races. Uh, it's funny, people have been complaining. On, uh, there's always a couple people complaining. You know, there's always people oh, complaining. That's, if you're on Twitter, you, right. that's, that's the norm. Oh, it's like on Facebook, there's, there's a guy, and, and he just, he's adamant that Monmouth is doing the industry a disservice because they're racing Twilight cards and they're only running six races on Fridays. Like, well, it's just a disservice to the industry. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, what is the problem? I said... When they run that mom, uh, that Mammoth at Meadowlands meet, they only run six races. Do you complain about that? I mean, you obviously know that the reason they do that is because, you know, the races are all on turf. And if you run nine turf races two, three days a week, you're, you're not going to have a turf course at that time of the year after about three days of racing. But people just sometimes don't get it that we're in a pandemic. And the fact that we're racing is is phenomenal it, it, yeah it's <laughs> phenomenal i mean i don't know how the nba is gonna pull it off i don't think they are i mean personally my, my thoughts on the nba is this this whole thing isn't gonna work out and they're not gonna finish they may start but i don't know how how they can finish especially if one team gets wiped out and, and a bunch of guys get it it's really gonna be difficult now if they can maintain this this bubble um, they already had two guys got suspended for for leaving right. the bubble. Exactly. Uh, not like, big players, but to do. it's going to be tough to keep them under wraps and people coming in. You know, so and it, it just started. Just, <laughs> right, and it, and they haven't they got what another couple of weeks before yeah. they even play. So uh, I don't know. I'm real skeptical. If they pull it off, that's great. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to see some basketball, but. I just don't think that they'll be able to finish, and my my guy LeBron is not going to get another championship. No, that Ron, Ron, and then Rondo broke his hand yesterday. Sir, he has to have surgery. So you think he couldn't shoot before? Now he really can't. Oh, yeah. But uh, well, no. I mean, you know, just going back to that in, in the the whole jockey situation, it, it could get ugly really fast. I mean. You know, with new events or coming to light, like, you know, um, as we're talking, uh, California has rolled back their everything. You know, I don't know if that's going to affect Del Mar or not. Um, it'd be a shame if it did. But, um, you know, what do you what do? You do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's just like, like an ongoing natural disaster that just won't stop. And every corner is another roadblock or change of something, and it's just nuts. I, I never would have dreamed this would have happened. You know, I, I guess the last time I was out and about was in January at the Pegasus. Right. If you would have told me in July that we would have been locked down for three months <laughs> and everything the way it is now, I, I would have, I would have laughed at you. It's just insane. Yeah, I, I, it's just, uh, I, I just think the real danger is that, you know, the way Santa Anita did the jockeys with, with the, having them in individual, like, little, um, little trailers and, and really keeping them apart was, was actually 
probably the ideal situation. Absolutely. And it's at the time it seemed almost like a little bit of overkill, but I just can't fathom if if, if I was a track, I would say no, especially Saratoga. This is Saratoga. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't need don't to go anywhere it. else. Where else are you going to go? You're going to go ride the Ellis Park Derby. You're going to go ride some some race at at, at uh, Del Mar. There's plenty of jockeys available. And and one of the problems we have in this business is that too many people think that only a few trainers can train horses and a few guys can ride horses. And it's just it's just not true. If you can't find a good jockey out of the jockey colony at Saratoga, well, you know, <laughs> then don't run. Jockeys are jockeys. They come and they go. You know? It's it's they're they're skilled athletes. There's guys that are better, some are better than others. But every jockey will tell you that's being honest, that it's the horse, not the jockey. The jockeys, bad, great jockeys can't make bad horses win. But, you know, the, we, we have to do that because trainers are not essential in the running of the race. Yes, you have to have trainers. You have to be, let them train their horses. But they don't need to actually physically go up and saddle their horses. The valets could saddle the horses. The grooms could bring the horses up. The valets could saddle the horses. But we need jockeys to ride. And... There's a lot of trainers. There's a lot of grooms. There's a lot of hot walkers. There's a lot of exercise riders. There's a lot of everything else. There's not a lot of world-class jockeys. There just aren't. And that is the one group that needs to be protected. And I understand you're going to be missing some opportunities um, of being able to go out of town. But isn't it better than, than having the thing shut down and, and everybody right. missing it? And, and it, you know, that's the point we're at. as a jockey... Uh, getting sick and then having to quarantine for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I mean look what happened with Gerard Melanson. And he, exactly. he he kept getting tests that said they were negative, and even though he didn't feel good, and and then by the time he felt good, the test came back positive. So that that's the issue is, and if you go to Del Mar, if you fly from Saratoga to Del Mar and ride in a race Saturday, well, you can't. Be te- you know, you're gonna test, get tested Friday, get out there, get tested Saturday, then 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 I mean. If we had these tests that were instantaneous, you could make a better case, but you can't. And if you get on an airplane, you know you don't know who you're getting on the airplane with, and it's just as you know we need the jockeys to conduct the races, and there's no track currently running that has a shortage of jockeys, so. The best thing to do is to just say, listen, make up your mind where you want to race and go race there. If you want to race here, stay here. If you want to go to Monmouth, go to Monmouth. But that's just the way it's going to be. And, and if guys don't like it, then... I mean, the truth yeah. of the matter is, if, I, if I'm Saratoga, uh, I'm going to say, you know... I'm going to tell the guys, if you go to Monmouth and ride the Haskell... You're staying there. You're staying there. <laughs> right. I, I would I would establish that already if I you know, if I was in charge or, you know, if I had a say in it, I would I would already establish that because it's clear that the you know, the jockeys themselves are just gonna do whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I you know, I still have that notion in my head that, you know, that the other jockeys would be like, Well, I don't know, 
you know, this guy's been all over the place and they see, you know, like Luis Saez and, and Flavian, uh, you know, catch uh, COVID, you know, and then, you know, they have to think about their own families or, you know, people around them. I would, you know, at, at some point I would think the jockeys would be like, hey, you know, it's just not good for, for people to keep traveling around like this because it's just it's just out there. Honestly, uh, I, I and, but and I, my... I don't expect them to do that right away. I didn't think they would do it like in an instant. But once guys, you know, are out and they're like, oh, well, he's got it and he's got it. It may be too late by the time that happens, but, um, you know, of course they, you know, free enterprise, they want to go out and make the money, um, by traveling around, but, you know, getting other people sick, that's, that's the other thing they have to think about. And I, I don't know if anybody's thought about that. Um, some of the tracks, are, I think I saw somewhere where they were saying that, um, if they leave, they can't come back. I think it was, was it Indiana Grand? I don't know. Yeah, I, I believe... I, I believe Indiana Grand did. Yeah, so, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm not sure why other tracks or the bigger tracks haven't kind of got on board with that because it, it, it could be a problem. It, it, it really could be. And, I mean, honestly, I, I think the Horsemen's group should step up and say, hey, you guys got to protect us here. And, you know, the jockeys might say, hey... It's okay for horses to ship, but not jockeys. Well, because if the groom goes down there and tests positive, we can put him in quarantine and we'll be fine. And, and, and you know what? We'll make do and, and we'll be fine. But if a jockey gets six other, seven other jockeys, and all of a sudden we don't have a full complement of jockeys, where are we going to get new ones? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the problem. There's not 44 jockeys at every every track that we can lose a third of them and still make it go. It's just, I, I mean, in the end, their importance has never been more clear. <laughs> they could actually make a great case. Hey, you know, we are really important. Shit, you guys can't do anything without us. Right, and it's, exactly. it's, it's the truth. And, and, and it's the truth in that, you know, racing is, is like a, um, it's it's like a uh a, what do they call it a wheel you know everyone each person is a or each group is a spoke in the wheel but Absolutely. you know we're we're at a point where we have the two biggest uh handle meets of the year operating either operating now or about to operate and it's important for the business as a whole to be able to get through this summer and um it's it's getting to be a little scary because the one thing about the COVID is that being not being able to know you even have it. And I'm not even talking about guys who don't feel good and still go to work or this or that. I'm telling you, guys that just simply feel fine, who never really have any issues, and have them being able to spread it, it just makes it so hard to contain that... Um, I just think that uh, just for the good of the the entirety of the circuit of, of everyone, because right. if you shut and racing you know, down, then all all the other yeah, people they're all inter intertwined in in some sort of way. Sure. Um, and and that's that's really a huge issue. Um, but you know, it, it's just crazy that 
racing in general in the industry is faced with this kind of problem and they're not the best at making quick decisions. No. And that's why this is this is really going to be interesting how the, the rest of the summer, I mean, if you go from now until, let's say, the Derby, to see what exactly is going to happen and what kind of decisions are made um, in regards to this, because obviously it's not going anywhere. And, you know, this industry as a whole is not very great at, at, at making quick tough decisions like you know to 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 try to get everything aligned so you know it, it's definitely a, a case study and kind of uh some some risk management and things like that so we'll see i mean you know some some props like any grand I, I think they did a good job at getting out in front of it and saying hey you know you can't come back um you know for a specified period of time that makes a lot of sense to me but you know there's so many hands that in play and especially at the bigger tracks it's like well you know this guy doesn't want it and you know the jockeys may not be ready on board with it and it's just it's just going to be a tough thing and, and interesting to see what happens I, I just you know hope that uh, the industry as a whole like you said these two important meets end up running you know as close to without a hitch as possible and um, you know, kind of move things towards the Derby in, in September, and, and everything kind of works itself out. But you know, it's just so unpredictable at this point. It's, it's like who knows what's going to happen two weeks from now. That, that's very true. Last uh, Tuesday, I had Marty McGee on, and we were discussing the Derby, and it just seems implausible, even in Churchill, with uh, which is a huge facility that they're going to be able to have 50 to 75,000 people there. It just seems implausible that, I mean, how do you get them in and out? Yeah, not, not, I mean, if they do go through with that, there's, there's going to be no social distancing. I mean, mandating masks, that stuff that, you know, I, I just don't see, like, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just don't see how it can happen. Yeah, it, it just is, uh, it's just uh, I, 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 yeah. It just seems it just seems impossible. And and I I was, I mean, listen, I was on board with the owners of the Belmont horses being able to go to Belmont because you know what, you can take a hundred people at Belmont Park and spread them out, and and you could take a hundred people at Belmont Park and 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 they might not even see the other fifty of the other people, but you know, fifty thousand, seventy five thousand people. That's a ton. That's a lot of people. Listen, when you go to Churchill for the Derby, obviously it's different. Derby Oaks weekend and that. But when you go for a Breeders' Cup and the infield, you know, it's cold in in November in Kentucky. A lot of times, the, the infield is not really in play, and and they put seventy five thousand people or sixty five thousand people yeah. in Churchill. It, there's no room. There's no room to go anywhere, and you know, not not having the infield. And, and and who's going to go in the infield if you have to social distance? And yeah, I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, how, how are you going to bet? How are you going to betting? Like uh, like college football, they're not going to have fans. No. You know, so it, I, it just doesn't make any sense for the Derby to have them either. The Dolphins uh, came I mean, up with a plan, and because they call me like every single day trying to sell me tickets, <laughs> so. 
the girl who was the sales rep called the other day and she was tell explaining to me so I said well how's this gonna work and they have a, a plan that they can get about 15,000 people and the stadium seats about 65,000 so you're at about a little less than a, a quarter capacity right. and you know with a football stadium you have seats and rows and yeah you can have people sit three rows apart you can have the people in each row sit six seats apart and and um i mean it would be a lot easier to separate 15,000 people out in a 65,000 um person football stadium than it would be to separate 75,000 people at Churchill Downs because yeah. they don't have 75,000 yeah. seats so you know I, they they probably have 15,000 seats 20,000 seats so, so I, when when do you think they might uh make a call on that I, you know uh, well, I, I mean I would think they'd, they'd have to come up with something pretty soon I mean listen knowing Churchill Downs they've got nine contingency plans because I'll, I'll give them credit for one thing they're like a soulless uh, evil corporation but the one thing that they are is organized and that in, in racing that stands out because pretty much no other organization in racing is very organized but I, I just think the um, I I don't know. I mean, here we are, mid-July, so we're about, what, seven weeks out, six and a half weeks out, and it's not, not, not they can't just start decide to sell them tickets the week before, so I, I don't know. I, I really have a hard time seeing, un, unless the numbers kind of reverse themselves. Um, I, I don't know. because and, and one thing, and, and this is a point that Marty, I think, made when we were talking was, that the Derby brings people from all over, all over the place. It's not just 150,000 people from Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. You know, the people from who live in Kentucky, the people who live in, in, in Louisville, they don't go on Derby Day. They don't have to pay all those, those exorbitant prices to get into the, the track that they used to pay, you know, eight bucks to get in on Derby Day. It's, it's out-of-town people. I remember they used to have, uh, every year, they, they'd have the obligatory... Um, helicopter view of the uh, the airport with all the private planes you know, yeah, stacked up everywhere, and that that those are people coming from all different types of places. And I mean, it might wind up being like the nation's largest hotspot. <laughs> right, that's that's definitely not the the move, <laughs> especially if they you know with things going forward after that point, you know. Before and after, it's, it's, there's definitely a, a, a ripple effect that that could happen, you know, industry and outside. Yeah, I mean, you know, just looking at some of the probables, uh, and I looked um, up some of the stakes for Saratoga. The, the Coaching Club American Oaks is a Grade One race that currently has i think six probables none of which won a stake race their last start most of which finished um didn't even run in stakes their last start there's a maiden breaker that, that might run in there i think there's a horse who was third in a stake and that's a grade one race and it's i remember when it used to be kind of the it took the belmont place of the was called the Triple Tierra, the Philly That's Triple right. Crown. 
Um, but th it's a race that's really fallen on hard times. And, and, and you, you think about even the ruffian last week. Um, oh, man. Don't even get me started. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I was on Twitter, and, and, you know, kind of voicing my displeasure on, uh, you know, how unbettable that race was. And it was just a disappointment from that value, you know, from that standpoint. There was it was it was just a watch race, you know, something to to, to gawk at, um, you know, nothing to, to really grab your teeth into. Obviously, uh, Monomoid Girl was was tons the best, um, and it, it's just disappointing that you get a, a field like that 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 is just almost like a walkover, basically. Um, you know, obviously, the, you know. It's not a true walkover, but it was close. The, the, the ruffian used to be a handicap. And uh, my friend Doug Salvador, who um, who's really one of the sharpest guys out there. He's completely insane, but he, he's like, he, he, he is, uh, n nobody can can break things down like he can. I mean, he, he's very, very good. He's, he's very, very smart and... Um, he he has a good sense of history of, of racing, and he, he spends a lot of time looking up crazy races from 1927 and and things like that. But we were kind of going back and forth a little bit, talking about what the weights assignments for the first two finishers of the roughing would have been if it had been a handicap like it had been for years. And I said, well, Monomoy Girl probably would have give that horse... 14, 15 pounds. I mean, she would have probably been 127, 128. And I think she gave her four pounds just or under allowance conditions. So I, know, I, th I think I said 128 to 112 was my first, uh, was my first just, you know, kind of throwing it out there without really thinking about it. But, but that is one of the things that, um, that racing suffers with in that we don't, I mean, handicap races were, were created to bring the fields together. And right. that the point was, uh, you know, what you're taught, what we were taught at the University of Arizona and, and most old school racing secretaries would tell you is that when you're handicapping a race, what you're trying to do is bring them all together at the wire. So if you have a 10 horse field, that you have 10 of them within uh, a neck of each other, ahead of each other at the wire. That's what you want. And wait, yeah. you know, th that way. And when you look at some of the old, I mean, obviously we're never going to go back to a time where horses carry 134 and other horses carry 105. But that actually happened. That used to actually happen. I remember Jerkins yes. telling me, Alan Jerkins told me a story about, I don't know, maybe it was a Jamaica racetrack or you know, a long gone track. But there was a, a jockey that was really, really small. And he was like the specialist for horses that carried less than 100 pounds. They actually had assignments where, where horses would get weighted at 98 pounds, 99 pounds. And wow. they, they would get 30 pounds from these horses. And yeah, we get that it's not going to happen. <laughs> We're not going to have, um, uh, you know, horses weighted even under 110 anymore. It's just, that's just not going to happen. But... And I get people are a little bigger, jockeys are a little bigger. I, I understand all that, but 
some of the good handicaps would make these fields better fields. And if you had a horse and the horse was training good, and you said, well, I'm, I'm going in this race, and yeah, I'm not as good as that horse. I'm not as good as Monomoy girl. I, I'm, not clo- I'm not even in her league, but I'm getting 13 pounds. You know, 13 pounds on a hot summer day in a race with a fast pace. Take your chances, you know, and and we did away with that. And the reason we did away with it was because the theory was that if we, quote unquote, penalize our best horses, then they won't run as much. Yet we got rid of handicaps and horses still don't run as much. They run less. They run less. And what it would do is it would bring the best horses together more often. Because instead of going in a race where you got to give 16 pounds to somebody or 12 pounds to somebody carrying a high weight, if you run against other good horses, then you'll all be weighted about the same. Maybe you'll get a pound or two pounds here or there. But, you know, it, it just is, it, it didn't work out like it was supposed to. And everybody just kind of wrote it off. Well, we can't have them anymore. Well, why not? Well, you know, jock's too heavy. Well, yeah. well, what about weighing a horse at 120? I mean, horses have been carrying 125, 126. They've been giving extra weight because uh, the saunas are closed. Right. So it, it just is... Um, there's a lot of things that, that we can do to try to fix some some issues. I mean, you can't fix the game. And we can't go back to 1950 or 1960 like some people want to do. with the. You know, that, that's one of the, the big... The big cries about Lasix. Well, you know, in 1960s, we didn't have it. And look how great we did back then. Well, yeah, okay. But there's so much else that's changed. And um, you look at a place like Hong Kong that's been wildly successful. And Hong Kong's a very tough comparison to anywhere else. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of its own it is, game in itself. But when it's you, a, you like, look at the positive, though, like... They don't have claiming races. They don't have ma- really maiden races. And they have... Uh, handicaps are a huge part of um, of the racing program. And when yeah, I would... The races I w- are, are handicaps. I mean, you know, I, I peruse it every now and then when I see it. And I, I just kind of gawk at what's going on there, but... Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a lot of handicap races. Yeah, you, you see horses carrying 134, 133, and they're racing as horses are carrying 116, 117. And the the, the high-weighted horses, they don't always win. They lose. No, they don't. They, they lose. definitely lose. And, uh, yeah, no matter what you do, trainers are going to complain because it's just in, in the nature of trainers to complain. But, um, and, and I've talked to... I, I know I have friends that train in, in, in uh, England in particular, and they complain a lot about the handicap system there because what'll happen is you won't get in races that you could win because there's too many entries and then the high weights are preferred and then the races you do get in, you can't win them. <laughs> so... I mean, it's there's no perfect system, but but um, you know one of one of the real issues we have in, in racing, is, and it's been shown. I mean, it's crystal clear that bigger fields are going to lead to more handle, and 
bigger fields of competitive racing is even better. And there's very few ways that you can um, combine horses, like horses, uh, without a handicap, with, without some sort of weight assignment. Because how you can't give them a head start. And it's not like trotters where you can assign post positions. Like, if you get assigned post position 8 at a half-mile harness track, that's a pretty significant uh, handicap to overcome. And if you get assigned post one or post two, that's a pretty big advantage. But in this business, uh, thoroughbreds, the, outside of um, some very particular distances, like uh, two-turn races at Gulfstream, mile one and eighth races, where you're starting close to the turn and the outside horses just are, are at a huge advantage. I remember one year, this has got to be going back, God, makes me feel old, but it's got to be 30 years ago. They wanted to try to run. Well, they did. They ran mile races at Saratoga. Race at Saratoga. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh man, I remember that. It was right on the on the turn. Yeah, they started on the, the turn. The outside horse. I, I think they only didn't they they limit the entries in those races. To I think like I think they, I think there was eight or nine. It started okay. kind of where the TVG set is over there now. Yep. And exactly. And post one, two, three won every single race. Yeah, because uh, eight, nine they, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't no. get around the first turn. They they couldn't. In good shape. And um. It, it it was a very short lived experiment because you fig you know guys figured out pretty quickly if you didn't draw a post one two or three you were just dead you just had no chance and uh, you know post position it, it well uh, Julian put up um, something on his website the other day about shoot racing and about yes. the rail coming out of the shoot and I said you know one of the things about coming out of a turf shoot that starts in the infield from post one is if you don't break sharp and get a forward position when the field turns to the left it's kind of a sharp turn and horses are naturally going to come in and if you're on the inside and you haven't established your position you're going to get checked and shuffle back maybe to last happens all the time at at, uh at tampa yeah exactly tampa runs a lot of very pronounced the, the shoot is really pronounced there too um, but I, I see it all the time. It, it's 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 almost a certainty. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the one area where um, post positions matter. And you know, a lot of times with the, especially first time starters, baby races, you don't want post one because horses are taught to run to the rail. I, I ran a horse in uh, in the Hong Kong Sprint in two thousand four, I believe. Battle one and and Battle one was a really good horse. He he was a a a, a good honest horse. He he kind of always ran his race and he he could run on the turf. He could run on dirt. And it was a a, a straightaway. It was five eighths. It was actually a thousand meters. So it was a little bit shy of five eighths, but essentially five eighths down a straightaway. And we drew in the middle of the ra- in the middle of the pack. And we ran against a horse named Silent Witness, who who actually doesn't really get enough credit. Because people in this country don't really know him because he never raced here, but uh, I he, remember him. he won. He won his first seventeen races in a row, and essentially after his first two or three were all group competition, um, and then they they stretched him out uh, past sprint distances. He, he got beat, and then he kind of his last year he really tailed off, and and it was probably physical issue at that point. But 
he, he was an exceptional horse. He was exceptionally big, too. He, he was about, I, I remember, I think he was 1,250 pounds. Um, that was the first time I ever had a horse get weighed with a scale for a race. They do it now at Gulfstream, but uh, they they came uh, in, in the morning of the race, and, and you had to weigh your horse in front of the, the track official who, who rode it down. But um, So my horse broke in the middle of the pack, and, and it was a straightaway race, and Kieran Fallon rode the horse. And and he was he was about fifth, and he and he kind of uh, looked like he was in striking position. And, and Silent Witness won the race pretty easily. He he had drawn inside, and he he was just a monster. He he really was about. He was better. He was the best turf sprinter I ever saw, and he might have been uh, the best sprinter of all. He he was just unbelievable. So we weren't going to beat him uh, under any circumstances. Wait 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 wait. And and you were around Kelly Kip. Yeah, Kelly Kip was was unbelievable. Kelly Kip's <laughs> Kelly Kip was, he, he was an unbelievable story, but we'll get to him after this. So, so Fallon says about halfway, about halfway down the, um, the stretch, and, and of course we're running the opposite way, but there's no turn, so for a horse to straight, to straight, to straight. But um, he said the horse inside of him kind of started to fade, and he goes, as soon as Battle once saw the rail, all he wanted to do was run to the rail. So he's trying to get him to straighten out, and Battle One is is is, is like you can kind of see the the pick. The only thing I could find on YouTube is kind of a grainy, but you can kind of see him as he starts in about you know fifty feet off the rail, and he winds up about five feet off the rail. So he kind of did a lot of uh, the last uh, two furlongs <laughs> running inside than he than he did straight. But but that's the thing is is horses here are taught to run to the rail because. That's that's how we run, and and all you know we have ovals that we all go the same, the the same turns. We we don't have races that go both ways, just just one way. So horses are on their left lead in in the turns, and and their right leads in the straights. And uh, I'm not even sure how we got talking about this, but but um, I, I'll tell you, it, it, Hong Kong was a great experience. It, it was amazing. Um, they treat you like, uh, I can't say enough how, how well we were treated when we were there. And, um, I would strongly suggest if you, everyone, you get a chance to go to the races or even if, uh, if you're part of a, the connections of a horse that gets invited there, it's a great experience and they're really hard races to win, but, um, the, they take care of you, uh, the accommodations are first class. They literally don't let you pay for a thing, and um, it was it was a really great experience. Even though we didn't uh, we didn't we didn't get a check, finished mid pack, but uh, but there's so many aspects of the racing there that are are just I wish we could could bring them here, but you know you're talking about an island of it's it's an I mean, I know they got all kinds of issues now with China's mainland. China's basically taking them over, and there's all kinds of problems. And I don't know how well, what's going to happen, but that they're you're talking about um, uh, an island like Manhattan, and there's really no other sports there, and they, they the the Hong Kong Jockey Club does take some some. Um, some action on soccer, on English soccer, but, um, 
you know, they're, they're, they're the main sport. They're the NFL. The, racing is, is, is the NFL of Hong Kong, and it's on TV, and, and uh, everybody knows it, and the, the crowds are huge, and, and uh, Sha Tin's a beautiful track, and, and uh, uh, Happy Valley is, is uh, it's, it's kind of an amazing experience to go there. And, um, we missed the bus <laughs> on the one day. They had uh, the jockey challenge at Happy Valley a couple days before the big races at Sha Tin, and, and we took a cab, and it's like you're driving in midtown Manhattan and they, and they you, you pull a, up there's and there's a track there right you know it's like you're, you drive through Times Square and all of a sudden there's a racetrack there and it, it was a it was a phenomenal phenomenal experience and uh and you know the great thing I mean for us is they speak English everything's in English the signs are in English and that, that may be changing now because of the you know the, the internal politics and issues they're having there but it made it so much easier. The only people who didn't speak English were the cab drivers, and I know they spoke English. They just pretended like they didn't speak English because every time I took a cab from um, the, our, our downtown five-star hotel to Sha Tin for training, uh, I got a different tour of the city. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it, it was really great, and and the handicap races are a big big part of of racing there, and it's uh you know the 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 security is something that we could never have here. We just don't have the the money. We don't have the ability to strictly follow people, essentially have private detectives following trainers and jockeys, making sure that they're not in cahoots with gamblers. And, and the laws are different. And... Um, it it's uh it was a it's a great experience. I just don't know how much we can really take from them, and and bring over here, because it's just such a different system. And, and the truth is, they bet so much, the handle is so yeah. high, yeah, it's crazy. It's such a profitable, um, a profitable, um, venture that, uh, you know, they do 150 million dollars on a on a regular day over there. I mean, we do 150 million on Derby Day. You know, the the Travers they'll do a third of that. And it's uh, it's just a different world. But it it was it was fun. And when all this stuff is finally over, if if anybody ever gets a chance to go there to the races, it's uh, it's great. There was a guy, Mark Player. I think he's still there. He he was a great great host, and uh, it was his first year there. He was an Australian guy, and and he uh, he really uh. He really hooked us up, and uh, I have nothing but but good things to say about uh, about Hong Kong. Yeah, it's definitely a, a place I would, you know, on the bucket list for sure that I'd like to go. Um, I know a few years back, uh, you know, they had that little exchange program where where some of the people, I think it was uh, Dan Torchman and and uh, Bailey Gallison that. They, they went out there and, and had a good time. Um, you know, that that would be a really good thing for, like, racetrack executives to, to kind of learn and see see what we could take. You know, like you said, you couldn't take everything, but, you know, what, what we could incorporate over here just to improve things. But I don't know if, if they're thinking that out of the box or not. Well, I don't want to disparage anyone tonight. Not today, right? No. Anyways, we've uh, 
we've gone about an hour and I, I wanna I don't want to keep you too late and I got to get my beauty rest after my big run today so <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the clockers missed me. They didn't get me. But um, I appreciate you coming on, and I look forward to next Monday when uh, who knows what uh, what life will will be like next Monday. It's it seems uh, from week to week, not just in racing in general, things get get really crazy. And uh, at least the first uh, the first week of Saratoga will be in the books and. Uh, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see how things go. Yeah, man. You know, I just you know hope everything is, is kind of will even itself out. I hope you know all the jockeys, trainers, everybody stays happy and healthy and stays safe. And, and hopefully, we can make it through this weekend and, and uh, get some good racing in this weekend. Barry, appreciate you giving up your time and your Monday night and tell my little friend Breezy hi. Absolutely. And, uh, We'll uh, we'll be talking to you during the week and um, and uh, good luck uh, when you, whatever you're playing this week. Oh, you know you know where I'm gonna be. <laughs> we're gonna we're, we're gonna be Saratoga, so hopefully it's it, it's as advertised like it usually is, and uh, you know we'll cash some tickets, my man. Sounds good. All right, Barry. That was Barry Spears. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. All right, we're going to wrap up tonight's show. Thank you, for Barry Spears, for being on. Let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed that the uh, the COVID uh, doesn't affect more jockeys, and that we can keep these meets going. Tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon, we have going in circles live from two to four at Blog Talk Radio. Good night.